Good to be here this morning. Uh, Clint mentioned there just beforehand, um, certainly want to wish everyone a happy Veterans Day, especially all of our veterans that we have with us. I know we have some Air Force, Navy, uh, Army, any Marines? Coast Guard? No? Couldn't remember anybody, but uh, anyway, uh, it's always uh, it was good. And on this, the 100th anniversary of the establishment of that day, it's certainly good to remember all of those that have served on behalf of, uh, of each of us. Um, this morning, <clears throat> when I, I got the call from Derek, I printed out a, a something that I had preached on years ago, and I, I told Dale, I can't remember, I have to admit this, I can't remember what the sermon was a month ago. Um, <laughs> so I figure the chances of you guys remembering something that I preached years ago probably is pretty slim. Um, so anyway, it's going to be a repeat uh, but it's actually kind of part of, of the reason why I chose this particular one. Um, many people here this morning, most people here this morning, are already Christians. And I think um, certainly for a, a preacher, I've always thought that's got to be a bit of a challenge. There's not, a, there's not an ability to go kind of anywhere in Scripture and just start espousing on why you should be a Christian and so forth. Um, but certainly, just because you are a Christian does not mean that you're all the way there yet. Each of us has work we can do, and so that's, um, that's why we're going to talk a little bit this morning about uh, some of Jesus' teachings and what uh, I will call the, the religion of the second mile. And, um, and so we'll just start with Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. And in that uh, part of the, the Sermon on the Mount, <clears throat> Jesus says, And who, whosoever shall compel thee to go one mile... Go with him too. So that's our scripture reading. I told Jeff I wouldn't make him walk up here to read that one line. Uh, I would just go ahead and read it. But by way of introduction, Christianity is something that might not be as easily defined as what we might think at first glance. I mean, certainly there, there are the obvious aspects to being a Christian, but it's, uh, it's somewhat like looking at a diamond. If you look at a diamond, uh, and particularly a picture of a diamond, you see this kind of image, but it doesn't really dazzle you. It doesn't, it doesn't really, it's just a picture. If you see that actual diamond in a setting, maybe it's a little bit better, but when you pull that diamond out and you look at it and you turn it and you see all of these facets and the light hits it, in many ways, you kind of just can be awestruck by that. And I think in a similar way, Christianity is kind of the same sort of thing. There's the caricature that a lot of people in the world draw of what a Christian is. That's just the image. It doesn't really sparkle. It's just kind of dull and there, and maybe it defines it a little bit. But it's only when we start really looking at the, the different facets that, um, that define Christianity that we can truly understand who we are supposed to be. And so the idea of Christianity is one where we are supposed to be called out to be different Peculiar people is how I like to, to, the translation I like of that passage. Um, we are to be different than others. We're not to be in harmony with the world. We're to be in harmony with God. And so that means that we should be different than those around us. We shouldn't be like everybody else. Um, and if we don't consider that, there's disastrous consequences, right? I mean, we all understand the idea of heaven and hell, and we all understand that we don't want to be in the latter. We want to be in the former. Heaven is, is a, certainly our destination. And so, did you ever think about part of the reason why heaven is such a wonderful place that you would want to go there is because it's not going to be filled with people like the world is filled with here? The world is filled with people that 
are provoked by Satan to do evil things. And sometimes we see things like these mass shootings that happen, and you just, aren't you just at a loss when you just stand there and you think, why would somebody do that? I, I don't understand why people are the way they are. Um, it just doesn't seem right. And so it makes sense that heaven being a perfect place, a beautiful place, the place that we all want to go to, it's not going to be like here. And that's why people that are truly living the Christian life are not going to appear like other people here. That's not to say we're going to be perfect in, in the sense that Christ was perfect, but it means that we are to be different. So when we look at those disastrous consequences of, of being worldly, um, certainly there's, there's misery that, that results here on, on earth. Um, there are other problems that can come about. Um, heaven is a place for prepared people. And that's kind of part of why this lesson I, I want to bring this morning to you as, as uh, many of you as Christians is that heaven is a place for people that are prepared. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and of spirit and make holiness perfect in the fear of God. And James 4, 4, Unfaithful creatures, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is, um, is one that gives us at length uh, motives, uh, virtues, um, things that characterize who the children of God are to be. It offers a rule by which you can measure yourself. There's all sorts of things in the Sermon on the Mount. It offers advice and advance beyond the old law. Uh, several times Jesus says, uh, you have heard it said of old, but I tell you this. What he's pointing to is that the old law is, is passing and the new law that comes is different. Something else is being asked. Uh, so that old law, one of the things that was common to it was that the rabbis asked for action. And so there were certain acts that they had to do. Uh, when Jesus came along with his teachings, one of the big differences there is that he went beyond those motives. He went from just saying, it's wrong to murder to saying it's wrong to hate. He went from saying it's wrong to commit adultery to saying it's wrong not only to not only is that wrong I should say but also it's wrong to even think about such things and lust after someone. Um, so to demonstrate that Jesus offers three very powerful illustrations in Matthew chapter 5 in verses 38 through 42. So if you turn there when I was reading the scripture uh, you're still there. The first is being smitten on the cheek, the second is being sued at law, and the third is being compelled to go a mile against our will. Now the first of these, being smitten on the cheek, um, interestingly enough, when you think about an insult, being insulted, not being physically harmed, but being insulted, you don't think about somebody punching you in the face. You think about them slapping you. A slap is an insult. And that's something that interestingly is true culturally throughout the world. If you walk up to somebody in a foreign place and you slap them, they will take it as an insult. Now they might be upset too that it hurts physically, but your purpose in slapping someone is not to cause them bodily harm, it's, it's to insult them. Um, all the old movies you've seen, what is it they always do when they want to insult someone? They slap them, right? A slap is an insult. And so why on earth would I turn the other cheek? This is not about this guy's beating me up, you know, and, and I've heard people try to make those sorts of, of 
comparisons. This is not someone who is mugging you in an alley and you're just supposed to lay there and let the person kick you and beat you until there's nothing left of you. This is something that's different than that. This is an insult to your character. You know, and so if I walked up to Dale and slapped him and he is, his immediately response was um, maybe to punch me um, <laughs> instead of slapping me back, you know, that's what kind of more what's being talked about here is the insult of the situation. Um, maybe uh, we could expand this into something that's more common today and say if someone says something nasty to you or insults you say, you know, in trying to tear you down, you know, what is your response? Do you jump right in there and start insulting them back? So the idea here is to go beyond just what everyone else would do. Somebody else gets slapped, they respond a certain way. You're to turn the other cheek. Being sued at law. The cloak was the outer garment that uh, people that were of modest means wore at that time. And so uh, it was also something that they would take off at night and use as a, a blanket. And so uh, in that situation, um, this is not just giving up something that was just an extra thing. This was something that was giving up a lot more than that. It was giving up being warm at night when you go to bed. Uh, again, What's being demonstrated here is going beyond what everyone else is doing. Paul writes in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 and 7 in part, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law? Oh, I'm sorry, I, I jumped ahead of myself. Um, no, I didn't. That is where I want to be. Sorry. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? I speak to you your shame. Therefore, there is utterly a fault amongst you because you go to law with one another. Why do you not take the wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Again, these are all calls to say to us, do more than what is minimally expected. So coming to the, the main one, I guess I'll say, that kind of was the title I started with, the, this religion of the second mile, this idea of being compelled to go a mile, and I'm sure um, you, you probably are aware of this, but at that time, uh, Palestine is an occupied place. As a result, the Romans had these laws that were put upon the people of those areas. One of those was that if a Roman soldier compelled you to carry his belongings, you had to carry it for at least one mile. This was kind of an insult, as you can imagine. Can you imagine if a bunch of people came here and occupied our hometown and told you that you have to do these things. So you're out trying to tend your flock, or you're out trying to mow your grass, maybe in a modern sense. And along comes one of these people and says, hey, get over here and carry my stuff. And you have to stop what you're doing, lay everything down, go over and carry their stuff for a mile. Now, most people in that time would put up these little piles of rocks along the road that represented a mile from their house. And so you can imagine someone picking up the stuff they walk, and when they get to that little pile of rocks, they throw the stuff on the ground, and they take off and head back home. And so that is the compulsion here. That is what is being required by law. And so the difference here is that Jesus is saying, as insulting as that is, as demeaning as that is, when you are compelled to do this, go an extra mile. You know, we've, we've all heard that expression. Where did it come from? It's nothing more than a biblical expression. Go the extra mile. Do something more than what is required. And so when we live here in society, there are certain things that are expected of us. We're to be civil to other people. We're to work or we lose our job. Um, there are many things that are expected. And that's what 
nobody's surprised by. You know, all of us that are co-workers, friends, family, everybody who goes out and does their thing and earns a living, uh, does that mean that they're exemplary? Does that mean that they get high awards? Of course not. It's just kind of they're doing the minimum of what is required. And so when we look at this idea of the second mile in a, a spiritual sense, uh, we're coming to really the essence of what it is to be different, to be a Christian, to be that peculiar person. So Jesus teaches here an important concept, which is when you have done what you ought to do, then is the time you ask yourself, now what should I do? Not to sit back and say, well, there, I did what I ought to do. And again, this goes back to the ideas that he started with in talking about it's not just wrong to murder. It's wrong to contemplate murder or to be angry with someone. That's wrong too. So it's not just the ought, it's the, the shall part of it as well. So this principle has many, many different applications that we could draw. Um, I'm going to just hit on a couple here real quick that relate to the church specifically. And we've been talking about some of these things here lately in our, our worship uh, class on Sunday morning. Um, I guess that comes out wrong. Our class on worship uh, on Sunday morning would be a better way of saying that. Um, so one of the things that, uh, that this kind of brings up is I think most everyone understands that they ought to worship. They ought to be at worship, right? That's a, a, a pretty much an understood thing. So the question might be, if that is what is expected as the bare minimum, if that's the first mile, where's your second mile? You know, one of the things that um, Dave and I have had conversations before uh, as elders is kind of the, the notion of what Hebrews 20, 10, 25 means when it says not forsaking the assembly. And he and I kind of have a little bit of a difference of opinion on this particular verse. Um, and the reason why, uh, I, I guess I'll this, characterize it this way. Uh, Dave's interpretation is that this means you don't forsake the assembling, period. And I think that's a, a correct statement, right? That's what it says. I knew he would say that if I asked him. So, you know, that's what it says. Therefore, it is. And my interpretation is a little different than that. But, uh, and so he said, well, do you think that that means that people can just skip any time they feel like? And I said, no, but I come at it from a different angle. And, and quite frankly, a lot of things Dave and I come at from two totally different angles and end up in the same place, which I think is, it speaks to a kind of diversity in how you can come to things in Scripture. If it was all just one verse, then we'd, we'd be, have a pretty easy time of it. So, uh, my, but my impression is more of this religion of the second mile. Uh, I don't come on Sunday evenings because I think I have to be here. I come because, to me, it is the second mile. I ought to be here for worship. I choose to come the second time because I choose to do so as a religion of the second mile. Financial support of the church. When we look at supporting the church, we were just talking about this this morning, and a couple of times I thought, I'm not going to make a comment because I'm going to say this later. Um, so, so anyway, here it is now. If we have gone to the point where I say, how much ought I give to the church? Well, it's this much. Then shouldn't we say at that point, but how much can I give? What is the little bit extra? Is this all I can do? Is this what everybody else is doing? And when I say everybody else, I don't mean your fellow Christians. I just mean in general. You know, if, if I'm looking at it from that perspective, I think it, I see it a little bit differently. Maybe I say, you know what? Um, maybe I could give a little bit more. Maybe that is part of what I, I should be doing. Um, and, 
you know, one of the things that this, this kind of takes us to as we begin contemplating this idea of the second mile, you can start applying this. And I, I'm, I'm not going to give any more examples. I don't want to run long here. Um, but you, can get the, you get the idea. There's lots of things where we can look at it and say, you know what, that seems to be what I ought to do. But it, we should be working to find a little bit more than that. What is there that I can do, though, beyond that? What is the second mile that I can go? And I think this really gets at the heart of what the imperfections that sin, that what they are in our lives. Um, there are transgressional sins. And, and when I think of transgressional sins, I think of things like um, murder, uh, stealing, you know, and, and that kind of thing. Um, John said in 1 John 5, 17, that all unrighteousness is sin. Um, transgression of the law is talked about in 1 John 3, 4. Uh, unrighteousness is to not keep God's commandments, Psalm 119, 172. So what we see is that there is a, a possibility of sinning by doing what is wrong, but there's also a possibility of sinning by failing to do what is right. And that second part is the, is the part I'm talking about today. And you might say, okay, well, I get that. Uh, why are we having a whole sermon on this? Why are you lecturing us on this topic? Well, here's the reason why. We frequently think of things that we have done, and we ask for forgiveness for that. But how frequently do we think about all that we haven't done and ask for forgiveness for that? Isn't it interesting to see that laziness is one of the most prominent sins that is mentioned in Scripture? Um, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion, Amos 6.1. The sleeper is supposed to arise. We are to redeem the time that we have while we're here on earth. 2 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the Lord, uh, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So we are, again, we are called to do more than just the bare minimum, the first mile. We're called to do the second mile. And when we don't do that, to be very clear, it's sin. It's not just a matter that, well... You know, I, I did pretty good this week. I didn't kill anybody, right? So I'm, I'm doing pretty good. It's not, it's, that, that doesn't count for much. Because you know what? There's a lot of sinners out there, a lot of lost people, a lot of members, people that are not members of the church. And you know what? They didn't kill anybody this week either. So we're called to be more than just that. Um, it's an imperfect conception uh, of sin that, that can lull, lull people into false security when you start thinking of sin as just things that you do, and, and that's it. Um, I bet you if we took a piece of paper, or pieces of paper, and we wrote down all of the things that the people in this room didn't do this last week, we could fill books and books and books of all the stuff we didn't do. The question is... How many pieces of paper would it take us to write down all of the stuff that we did beyond the bare minimum that we were required to do this last week? That's a harder question. Um, it's a harder question for me. And, and certainly, don't misunderstand me. I'm not preaching at you this morning. I'm preaching at you and at me too. It's, it's all of us together that need, I think, to be reminded of these things once in a while. You know... The acceptance of the philosophy that we need to go the extra mile 
Um, if we don't accept that, it's not just a matter of things not getting done. It endangers the future of the church. It endangers, more critically to you, the future of, of your soul. Um, it leads to self-indulgence. Uh, it's the... It kind of leads to a more of a hermit kind of attitude towards life, which is not a healthy thing. Um, James 4.17 said, However, to him that knows to do good, and does it not, to him it is sin. Again, you know, I, I'm, I'm struck by the number of places we can turn to in Scripture and tie it into this idea of going farther than just the bare minimum. God's law is full of, of shalls and shall nots, and we could, we could go through all of those and, and talk about them. But again, it's easy to focus on the shall nots more so than the shalls. It's probably worth noting that we should be impressed, and we should be impressed by the fact that when you look at every judgment parable in the entire New Testament, every single one of them is related to someone that didn't do something, not to a person that did something. What I mean by that is this. Anytime Jesus is telling a parable about judgment, about not making it to, to heaven, every time he does that, the sin that's committed is one where someone didn't do what they were supposed to do, not because they did something wrong, as, as we might define it. Nobody's judged for murder, for stealing, what they're judged for is things like laziness, not doing what they should have been doing. That, to me, personally, is scary. Because it's very easy for me to go about my daily walk and say, I did pretty good today. Well, I did get mad at so-and-so on the highway. But you know, other than that, you know, I did pretty good today. And forget the fact that I'm just, again, talking about that first mile. Hey, I did a really good job. I walked that first mile today and, and, and went back home. Again, that's not what we are called to be. The one-talent man wasn't condemned because he didn't save his talent. He was condemned because he didn't do anything with it. Jesus, uh, in Matthew 25, verses 44 and 45, in telling... Uh, one of his parables says this. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison? And we didn't minister to you. And then he will answer them. Truly, I said to you, as you not, did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Jesus is talking again about going extra, doing more. You know, when you didn't do these things for these people, you didn't do it for me. Don't come here and tell me you're a Christian and that you're my follower and that you've done all you should have done when you can't demonstrate that you did one thing for anyone else. How do you know that the love of God is in a person? You can't show that you love God unless you show you love your fellow man. John told us that. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 19, you can read about a fig tree. A fig tree that... <clears throat> Was, um, was not hurting anybody. It wasn't poisoning any children. There were no, no, you know, nobody was being hurt by this fig tree. The only, the only thing there is uh, that Jesus cursed it anyway. Why was that? Because it wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing. 
doing no harm is not the same as doing what you're supposed to be doing. So, yeah, I didn't do any harm today. I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't stolen. I haven't committed adultery. I can run down a list of things I haven't done, that I haven't harmed anyone today. But what's on my list of things that I did today that I'm supposed to be doing? One more parable. Um, parables in the Old Testament are not very common, but um, there is one in 1 Kings 20. It talks about two armies locked in a, a great conflict and a prisoner is taken. A soldier is assigned to guard uh, the prisoner and told if that prisoner escapes, you're going to forfeit your life. That'll be the end of you. And guess what happens? The prisoner escapes. So when it comes time for him to offer his defense, if you will, he, he gives the excuse, and I thy servant was busy here and there, and then he was gone. I wasn't asleep. I wasn't doing nothing. I was busy doing all kinds of things. I was busy all over the place. Well, did you do the one thing you were asked to do? No. There's a problem there. We are asked to do many things. We are asked to not do other things, but we're asked to do many things. And for Christians, I think this is, this is the biggest challenge to us. And the thing I want you to take away today more than anything else is that when you leave here, you need to do more. And I'll, I'll leave it to you. I, I certainly am not your judge. It's not my role. I, I'm an elder of this church, but that, even as an elder, that's not my role. Elders don't judge the church. That's not our job. As they say, that's above my pay grade. That's Jesus. But I ask you to think about that as you leave and consider these things. You know, the New Testament is full of examples, of parables, of teachings of Jesus, of writings of Paul and, and John and the others on this idea of doing more. Judge for yourself what more is. That's, that's what you need to do. For some people, it's, they're a one-talent person. For others, it's, it's five talents. You know, draw your comparison, but make sure you're not the one that's just burying your talent. A lot of times where we fail is we don't search ourselves. We don't search our hearts. And that's, again, I guess what I'm asking you to do as much as anything this morning is to kind of think on these things and search your hearts and say, is this something that applies to me? And if it is, make corrections. One of the things that I think is important for us to always remember, too, when we're considering whether we are doing right or not. The psalmist says, teach us to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom. You're running out of time is what I take that to say. Every time I get a little older, things happen. I told Teresa yesterday, I said, you know what? When my hair is wet, it's, getting, it's really easy to see my head through my hair now. That bothers me a little bit um, because I'm not used to it. I'm getting a little bit older. But you know another thing that we should maybe be more worried about as we get older? We're running out of time to do the right thing. And that's not to say that you earn your way into heaven, that you need to make sure you get it done. It's just saying you need to think about these things and make sure that you have yourself right with God. Every time we have a, a service, we offer an invitation. And the reason for an invitation is very simple. It's to remind us that 
time is fleeting. So this morning, uh, as we kind of close things out here, uh, I would just ask you to do that. Consider where you are. Uh, it doesn't have to be something where you come to the front of the building and, and make a formal announcement. Um, if you choose to, to ask for prayers, it can be just of, of the person sitting next to you. Say, you know what, I'm having kind of a tough time. Would you pray for me this week? People will do that, you know, if you ask them. So whatever the need might be, and certainly this was not a sermon geared towards evangelism and, and baptism, but we're, we're certainly ready and able to take care of that as well. And so would you come as we stand and sing?